We uh, just wanted to start here. It is, it is November 11th, and uh, it is Veterans Day. So if you're, if you're uh, someone who has served in any branch of our military, uh, would you stand for us? We just want to honor you and thank you uh, for that. And uh, there we go. We got, we got Justin over here. Thank you, Justin. The, uh, the Christ-likeness of being willing to live for and be willing to die for others. And that's what Jesus did for us, to die for us so that we might, as our military fights for our freedom, that he ultimately laid down his life uh, to win us freedom from sin and death and a relationship with our Father. And so it's a beautiful picture that we have of him. Um, I am, I'm a pretty competitive guy, all right? Now, I, I grew up playing sports, and I could not conceive of doing anything that you couldn't win at. This didn't make sense to me. Like, if you couldn't relate to people who just like to do things for fun, okay? What, what is that? Like, I'm going to play Uno with my grandma. I'm going to crush her, right? That's just how I, how I rolled. So this summer, when my four-year-old nephew, Ray, uh, started to play soccer, I was super excited to come watch him carry on the Frankino family tradition of dominance, and as I show up, I'm thinking, let's do this, right? Let's make those preschoolers on the red team revert back to pull-ups, right? I mean, they're going to be crying to their mommies, we are ready to go. But much to my horror, when I got there, instead of bowling people over and scoring goals like it was his job, which it was, here's Ray on the soccer field. <laughs> it's not funny. He was literally picking flowers and handing them to the other team, a.k.a. his mortal enemies. There's a picture at the end of a game. Do you know where Ray is? Standing with the enemy. I wore a paper bag over my head all summer. He's a disgrace to the Frankino name, right? And oftentimes, we find ourselves like Ray, on the soccer field of life, where our coach has given us a clear mission. Go and make disciples. But how often do we find ourselves in the grass, picking flowers, hugging the enemy, completely unaware that a game is even being played? That's one of the reasons that Paul gave this charge to his young disciple, Timothy. He had some, some hard, strong words to say to him in his second epistle to the man. He said, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes can't win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labors. He says a good farmer is focused on the fields his animals because his livelihood depends on it. And a good athlete, a good athlete keeps their eyes on the prize, on the finish line. You think of an Olympian who for four years, everything they eat, every way they sleep, all their exercise, everything is focused on this one moment in hopes that they might win the gold medal. And he says a good soldier, a good soldier is one who hears nothing but the commanding officer's mission. And he doesn't get tied up in civilian affairs. He doesn't get distracted. There's a book uh, that came out uh, somewhat recently by Francis Chan and his wife Lisa. It's called You and Me Forever. It's actually a book about marriage, um, but in chapter four, he talks about what it means to be on mission, and this applies to anything beyond a marriage, and I'm going to be citing some verses and some examples from here, so I just want to cite my source. It's a free online resource uh, that you can get. really encourage you uh, to read that book wherever you are in life, but Francie, uh, Francis sorry, reminds us in this 
in this chapter that the Bible teaches us you and I are at war. A real war, not flesh and blood war, a spiritual war. And that God's given us this mission and to tell us to not get tied up in these civilian affairs. So he, he says in his book, and I quote him here, he says, picture a nice house with a white picket fence and your happy family lounging inside. Now imagine a full-scale war unfolding just a few blocks away. Your friends and neighbors are fighting for their lives while you are remodeling your kitchen and hanging up your new big-screen TV. You have contractors installing better windows so that you can tune out all the noise. It's a pretty pathetic picture, he says but it's an appropriate comparison for the lives that so many Christians have chosen. They're ignoring Jesus' mission in hopes of enjoying life. Don't fall for it. Real life is found in the battle. Right now, we have many brothers and sisters being tortured overseas because of their faith. Let's pray for them and be encouraged by their example to enter the fight. May we not find ourselves off mission picking flowers. This month at Peninsula Grace, we're celebrating what God's doing around the world. It's called Missions Month. A look at what he's doing through his church to advance this rescue mission of saving people from their sin into a flourishing relationship with their maker through Jesus. And this month, our theme has been be a missionary, bless a missionary. And we've been hearing all month, like we heard from Harlan early this morning, what God is doing through the missionaries that he's called us to bless and support around the world, right here in our area, through Love, Inc. and, and uh, Solid Rock Bible Camp, uh, statewide, through MARC, across the world, through the Persecution Project, JoJo in, in Russia, and Jesse in the Philippines. And, and, and alongside this, last week, Dave Flam did an awesome job. I was able to listen to that on, on the podcast as I was out of town. But he broke down why each of us can be a servant of the Lord. And he shot down any of the excuses that we like to give. Oh, I'm not gifted. I'm not called. I don't have the time. Uh, whatever it might be, man, I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that podcast on our, on our website or on, online. Um, and, and I want to follow up with that this, this week and give us four reasons why you, yes you, yes you, yes you, should be a missionary, have been, are called to be a missionary. And as we look at the book this morning, I want you to ask yourself, am I living on mission or am I distracted in the grass picking flowers? Four reasons. Four reasons that each of us have called, been called by God to be a missionary. First reason, because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so. I remember as a kid, the four words that shut down every argument you had with your parents, right? Because I said so. I'm your mother. I'm your father. That's why. I brought you into this world implying I could take you right back out, fool. Right? That you do what I say. As long as you live under my roof. Right? Fine. I'll eat my vegetables. I'll clean my room. Whatever it was that they were telling you to do. Why should we be missionaries? Because God said so. And really that's the only reason we should need. God, he made us. And therefore he's our boss. And then when we rebelled in sin, Jesus purchased us back with his blood. So he's really our boss. He's our master. So he gets to tell me my marching orders, not vice versa. And our commander-in-chief, Jesus, the last thing he said before he returned to heaven, speaking to his disciples, and this applied to all of his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm in charge because I said so. Go, therefore, on the basis of that authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of, of the age. 
And that's why we see our mission so clear here is to make disciples. So our vision as a church, inspired by the word of God from the breath of his own mouth, he says that we want to be a gospel-centered community that's all about reproducing disciples of Jesus. That's what we're all about. So we aim to be all about. And our mission is to present everyone complete in Christ, that every person on earth would delight in, become like, and glorify Jesus as Lord and Savior and Master. And to be clear, Jesus was telling his father's followers to go to everyone, namely the lost. Namely those who didn't know about Jesus. To reach those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Who are still dead people walking. To baptize them and teach them to follow Jesus as his disciples. That's what we should be spending all of our time doing. Think about when you're at work, in your job. What do you do at work? If you want to collect a paycheck at the end of the period, you do what your boss tells you to do, right? So, for example, if you were a burger flipper, which apparently I didn't realize after I put this picture up, it's James Franco. I don't know what he's doing at McDonald's. But um, if, you, if your job is to flip hamburgers at McDonald's, that's, one, that's, that's your one task, right? And so everything that you do and say and think about on the clock is revolving around flipping hamburgers. Where you stand, close enough to flip hamburgers. What are you talking about? You're having burger conversations. You long to hear one thing at the end of the day, well done, good and faithful burger flipper. Here's your very large paycheck from McDonald's. You're all about the burgers. And because Jesus said so, our entire lives should revolve around these two words, to make disciples. We exist to make as many disciples here on earth as possible. This should take priority over everything else in our lives. I mean, stop and think about that for a minute in your own life. Can I truly imagine living my life like this? Like, what would your life look like if this truly revolved, this was your number one priority? And I I really genuinely encourage you to do this as a family, with your children, or a single. It'd be easy to get your household together. Sit down tonight and and list out, man, what, like, how, what are we doing to, to fall in line with this What do we need to organize, reorganize, prioritize, reprioritize to to center our lives around this command to make disciples? Again, Francis in this chapter, he said, this command should dictate everything about your life. Where you live. Where I live. Is Is that the most strategic place for me to be making disciples? Where you work. How's my job affect how I make disciples? Where you spend your money. How you spend your time. He says everything. You should not make a single decision without the words make disciples factoring in. We should be constantly asking ourselves the question, how can we free up more time and resources for making disciples? You get the point. You and I were created by God and then purchased back by Jesus' blood to know him and to make him known. To make disciples. We don't want to stand before our, our maker one day and have not made disciples. So we got to restructure, we got to prioritize our lives because he said so. Reason number two, because people are dying. Every day, 155,000 people are passing away. That's 6,000 people per hour on this earth. In the time that we're going to finish this service, that's 105 people a minute and two people every second. One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. 
And this is a sobering reality that I don't think we should just ignore or numb ourselves to. And Paul, he felt the sting of this. And just a couple, couple chapters ago in our study of Romans, you remember what he said? He said in Romans 9, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul's heart, he loved the people around him, and he knew that they were hurtling toward a Christless eternity. And he wanted to rescue them from that torment and pain. And so what do we see as we read the book of Acts? We see that every second of Paul's life was spent, revolved around this call to rescue people from the coming judgment and to make disciples. Do I believe what Paul believed about the people right here in Silbatna and in Kenai and in village Alaska that MARC goes and reaches each year and in the world beyond? You see, I don't believe it, and I don't love them if my actions don't show it. We know John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this. We know what real love is. Why? Because Jesus gave his life up for us. He's the example. He devoted his entire life, gave up his physical life, so that we might become disciples. So we also, in light of that, ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters, for those around us. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, John says, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. If we really love people, then we're going to do what's best for them. And the best thing for them is to be introduced to Jesus. Now, none of us can reach every one of those people dying every second. But each of us can be faithful to the ones that God does put in our path. And us changing even one person's eternity is more than worth it. And again, Francis was talking, he said his youth pastor used to ask him the question, man, what if everybody was like you? He was talking about in their youth group, like what if everybody in our youth group was the same way that you are? And you think about, like, what if, what if every person, every believer, shared the gospel as often as you did? How quickly would this world be reached with the message of Jesus? And if every believer gave like you give to the poor and gave like you gave to those who are going, then how quickly would we see this world's needs being met? Now, we know there's differences between us and, and the resources we have and the influence we have, but you get the point. You get the point. People are dying and going to hell. If you were at Solotna Creek Park having a picnic and the playground bursts into flames, you're not finishing your picnic. There's a clear task at hand to rescue every single one of those children out of the burning playground. Our task today is no less urgent. This is not a game. This is life and death. People are dying. Reason number three, because this is the best use of your life. This is the best use of your life. Have you ever gone through periods of your life where you ask the question, is this all there is? Like, maybe your heart echoes what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, meaningless. Like, what is the, what is the point of everything that we're doing? And maybe, the, yeah, I have occasional fun, or I've got a friend or two that I kind of care about, but ultimately I feel like I'm missing something. That I was created for something more than this. You imagine, you imagine an eagle trying to live its life grounded, walking around on its talons all. Does that eagle look happy to you? It is not. I guess eagles never really look happy, but 
Imagine an eagle trying to swim or do, do something that it wasn't created to do. He says, man, there's got to be something more to this eagle life. And, and the reality is he's, he's not realizing he was created to fly. And, and until only when this eagle is soaring, like he was created to soar, will he experience his eagle life to the max. We feel like we were created for something more because we were. If you want to experience the full joy that God intends, then you got to do what you were created to do. you got to fly. Ephesians 2 says we are, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How cool to think that God created me to do all these amazing things through me created us to, to look like him, to bear his image, to love like he loves, to, to live and die for others the same way that Jesus lives and dies for, died for us. Now you might say, well, I'm just not that gifted of a person, Justin. I'm just one of those average Christians who tries to get to church as often if the weather is good, uh, or that I, you know, just try to stay out of as much trouble as possible. That's all that really God has in the cards for me. When the words of Pastor Larry, that is horse feathers, Right? Specifically, through the Holy Spirit, each of us have been given everything that we need to do the tasks that he's called us to do. What did he say to the first believers in Acts? He said, but you'll receive power. Power to do what? When the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Spirit will give you this power. For what? And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, the earth. He says, you're going to go be my witnesses, and I'm going to give you the power through my Holy Spirit. You realize the very Spirit of God lives inside of every believer. And not only every believer has been given him in general, but also we've been given specific gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other to do the task we've been called to do. He gave us his very spirit and gave us specific gifts. So if you don't think that you can fulfill God's mission, that's not humility. It's a lack of faith in what he's told us in his word. If you want to live a fulfilled life, you want to make the best use of your vapor here on earth, be a missionary. Make disciples. And man, I want nothing more in my life than to be able to say what Paul said to Timothy at the end of that same letter we read earlier. He says, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. He says, don't get distracted. Keep a clear head. It's going to be easy to get off task. Stay on mission. Endure suffering. It's not going to be easy. Do the work of an evangelist. Witness. Tell people about Jesus. Fulfill your ministry. The good works God gave you beforehand to walk in. For I, talks about his own life here, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He gave his life, committed every moment of his life to make disciples of Jesus. And the time of my departure has come. Paul knows he's about to die. And this is what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. I want to say that. And this is what's waiting for him because of that. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is, this is on the table for all of us to say what Paul said and as a pastor, when I'm helping people make life choices, one of the things we often talk about is the path of least regret. What's the path of least regret in your life? And I'll tell you, when we stand before God one day, 
And we, if we hear those words, well done and good, well done good and faithful servant, you know what we're not going to say? Man, I just wish that I had watched more Netflix. Like, why didn't I finish that show? Man, man, I wish I would have gone on more cruises. Man, I wish I would have spent more money on myself. I wish I would have told less people about Jesus. I can't believe I kept doing that. And maybe, maybe you look back on some of your life with regret for the time you have wasted. But I want you to hear me. You can only walk with Jesus today. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. In the grace and forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, we can be willing to admit that, man, we have been living for ourselves, but be eager to change, knowing that with his spirit in us, we can, we can change, and, and now we can start living today for eternity and to encourage other younger believers that God puts in our lives to not waste their lives. There's grace. But this is the best use of our lives. The most joy, purpose, and meaning comes from being who God has created us to be. Jesus said, man, if you try to save your own life, if you live for yourself, you're going to lose that very life you're trying to keep. But if you lose your life, if you surrender it to the Lord for his purposes and his pleasures, you will find it. This is the best use of your life. Fourth and final reason, which might be the sweetest and best of all, because that's where Jesus is. Because that's where Jesus is. You know, certain people in my life, if, if I want to find them, I know exactly where they'll be. If I want to find Drew, uh, cowboy, resident cowboy and chairman of our elder board, I know he's probably going to be at Solid Rock Bible Camp, right? Torturing haymazers this time of year. He just loves to do that. Or maybe if I'm trying to find Blair Martin, you know where he's going to be. Diamond M Ranch. Apparently sitting in the middle of the road there. Uh, He's going to be punching llamas and, and loving tourists in the name of Jesus. That's just where he's going to be and what he's going to be doing. If I want to find my friend Brennan, he's probably going to be at the fitness place working out and training other people. And if I want to find Jesus, if I want to be where he is, when I read the Gospels, I know exactly where he'll be. He's going to be among the least of these. He's going to be seeking and saving the lost. My Savior will be in the darkest corners of this earth. And Jesus gave us this really cool uh, promise at the end of that command to make disciples. He said, I'm, and behold, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, always, even to the ends of the age. As we go, we don't go alone. Jesus comes with us. We are one with him. And Paul, Paul says, there is nothing in this whole world that's sweeter than being with Jesus. Philippians 3 says, everything else, everything else is worthless when you compare it with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my life. And see, as we get to know Jesus more, we are going to want to share him more. As we find him to be our treasure, this isn't just some legalistic duty. This is an overflow of a heart that's delighting in Jesus and wanting everyone else to know the life that we found in him. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow the knee to the king's statue. They say, we're going with God. They get chucked into a furnace. And what do they find in the midst of that furnace? Not regret. Not isolation. The very presence of God is with them in that furnace. And they say, we choose the flames with God more than bowing the knee without him. 
And when we take risks, when we go where God says to go, when we do what God says to do, he promises that right in the midst of the flames, Jesus will be there with us, in us, through us. If you want to experience the joy of knowing Jesus, of sharing his heart, it's going to be in loving other people because that's where he is. That's where his heart is, and that's what he's doing. So you ask yourself this morning, is my life on mission? Am I scoring eternal soccer goals with Jesus, or am I in the grass picking flowers like my nephew Ray, living for yourself in the temporary? Sorry for picking on you, Ray. He's four years old. Back off, right? He's got, he's got some growth. So what does this look like in our lives? Like we play this out. What does this mean to be a missionary? Does that mean I, I have to quit my current job and go door-to-door evangelizing all day? Do I have to move to Africa or join a full-time mission like MARC or Solid Rock? Like, what does that mean for me today? A pastor friend of mine, Jeff Bogue, in our, in our fellowship, he talks about these things. He calls them $2 investments. He says, you know, if you buy a, a cup of coffee every day for $2, which <laughs> here in Alaska is like 12 but anyway, you get the point. It's not, it's not, he says it's not a big investment today. But over time, as you look back, you see all the money you've spent consistently, daily, all the coffee you've drank consistently and daily, and it adds up, doesn't it? And what he says is a small decision compounded over time equals a big result. So everything doesn't have to change today, but we start making and implementing small changes, and if we're consistent and faithful in those, over time, we can do huge things for the kingdom of God. So one of the things we're calling our church to this, 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 um, this missions month as individuals, as families, to think about your life. Think about how you spend your time, your resources, your relationships. What, what small habit changes can be made that over time can make huge eternal results? We've been talking about being a missionary and blessing a missionary. And in two weeks on the 25th, we'll talk about more about what it means to bless others that are going, to support them, to pray for them, to love them. This week, we're talking about what it means for us to be missionaries. And I want us to think about some practical things, those little $2 investment changes that we can make. And in your bulletin, there's a little, there's a little pullout that has some of these listed here. And we're going to have a time to, to be able to walk into some of these. But, you know, the first one here is just simply to be praying for and engaging with three unbelievers in your life. And I encourage you to do this as a family. If you've got kids... Say, man, what, who do you know at school or on your soccer team? You know, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Start praying for them, talking to them about Jesus. And maybe as a family, you make one small little change. You say, hey, you know, once a month, we're going to invite a specific neighbor over for dinner. We're going to have them into our home and just talk with them, get to know them, pray for them, share Jesus with them. Maybe that means cutting out an extracurricular activity as we all are so, so busy. Maybe it's picking a person that you know, being willing to watch their kids while they go on a date night. If you're good with your hands, you come over and fix their car. Or you know someone who's sick and you bring them food. Noticing little things, how to serve and love people. Being on mission. Maybe for you, it's taking one week out of the next year. We've got 52 of them. Will we take one or two and go somewhere? See outside of ourselves, outside of our little worlds, and see what God is doing? This coming year, we got some options to go to Haiti, potentially one to go to Uganda. I want to invite people into those things. Make that small investment that could not only make a huge impact on the people we're going to minister to, but also you and the team that's going. 
And maybe it's not a $2 investment. Maybe it's a $2,000 investment. And maybe God's really pricking it on your heart. I got to go. There are people in this world today that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. And maybe he's saying, I want you to take your life and go somewhere where the gospel's never been named. Whatever it is, big, big or small, being faithful to what God's called you to be and every one of us to be on task. You think about if everybody at Peninsula Grace made a $2 investment this month, the enormous impact we could have in this world for the gospel of Jesus. So time for commitment. In your bulletin, you've got that little paper and it's got some check boxes there. It's also got the, the, what we can do to bless a missionary, to, to pray for regularly, to, to uh, support regularly, to connect with regularly. Other missionaries, we'll talk about that on the 25th more. Um, but what, what I'd like you to do is to pray about, and this doesn't have to be filled out right now, although we do have Josiah's in the back there. He's got some pens. And if you'd like a pen, you can just shoot up your hand and he'll, he'll bring one to you. But consider, what, what, what $2 investment can, can I make, can we make as a family today to be on task, to be making disciples? And at the end of your sermon notes, there's a couple lines there that you could fill out, specific tasks. And, and we're not limiting it to these things. I mean, God's going to be telling you what he wants you to do. So what, what commitment, what kind of line in the sand moment can you make this week to say, I'm in. I want to stand before my God at the end of this, this whole thing and hear what Paul heard. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've poured out my life spent it in the best way possible. I encourage you to do some heart work before the Lord, how you might live on mission and not be distracted picking flowers. We're going to have the ushers come forward at this time as we transition into a time of communion and prayer together, worship, and consider, consider how we might give as we're giving regularly to this church and to his work here in our church and beyond. And also how you can give all of your resources, your life, all of it belongs to your maker, to your redeemer, Jesus. Let's, let's, let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you that you sent him to this earth, that Jesus lived on mission. That he didn't live for himself, but he lived and died for us so that we might know you. And Father, I pray that the heartbeat of Jesus that does truly live inside of each of us as believers would start to be formed in our hearts and that we would live our lives, spend the one shot, the one vapor you've given us here on this earth before he comes back to live for making disciples. Father, I pray for wisdom and courage for each family as they navigate that and go, man, what does it look like for us? What areas need to be reprioritized, reorganized so that we get, we get so distracted so easily by the world around us that preaches the gospel of self? And that we, we discover that we have all our needs met in Jesus and we are free to love. That we've been called to go because Jesus, our commander-in-chief, said so. Because people are dying, because the stakes are real. Because this is the best use of our life now. And because that's where Jesus is. Father, may we discover the treasure of what it means to know Jesus. And as we delight in him, out of the overflow of our heart, we would desire nothing more with every Every, every moment that we have, every resource that you've given us, every relationship that is there, that we would leverage that and use that to make disciples as your spirit has empowered us to do. Receive this offering, receive these gifts, receive our lives as a commitment to you to love you and to love others in the name of Jesus. We go in his name and the power of his name and his beautiful name we pray. Amen.